If I haven't met you, my name is Ryan Ventura, and I work with our family ministry here, and from time to time, have the opportunity to teach here in the chapel. And today is one of those days. So lucky me for sure. Not so quite about sure about you. Lucky you. We'll find out. Um, but we're continuing through 2 Kings, where today I'm going to introduce you to two new kings. So we have a king of the southern kingdom named King Ahaz and a king of the northern kingdom named King Hoshea. Okay, and uh, these guys are going to be terrible, horrific, bad guys. Okay, so what should come in no surprise to any of us who've been paying attention since January, uh, these guys are bad. Okay, King Ahaz is going to burn his children alive. So Father's Day is coming up. He's not getting any cards. Um, King Hoshea is going to show such terrible leadership um, that he will be the last king ever of his kingdom. His, his kingdom will be annihilated after his reign. So if you've ever messed up at work, man, these guys have set the bar even higher for failure. Um, and it's going to be tempting, I'll warn you, to like look at these kings' lives and kind of shake our judgmental fingers in their historic faces and think, I would never do what they do. Never in a million years. Um, but I want to warn you that we do that at our own peril. Um, because, friends, these were real men. Flesh and bones, just like each of us. And so the very same temptations that they faced some 2,700 years ago, we face today in 2023. So might we learn. And today we're going to look at one temptation in particular that both of these guys struggled with. Okay, And it is an age-old temptation. Um, and it is this. It's the temptation to try and be our own saviors. Try the key word there. To try and be our own saviors. And here's what I mean by that. That a sit situation comes up in your life, a problem, a challenge. And instead of turning to the God of the universe, you are like a scared cat and I'm like a scared cat. And we start looking everywhere. Right? And we're like, I'm going to look here and I'm going to look there. And, and I'm going to be the savior that fixes this. Right? And I know what you're thinking, right? You're all thinking, Ryan, are you lost or confused? Because this is the equipping service, Ryan. We're equippers. You know, as you drink your coffee with your pinkies extended. Um, when we have problems, we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus like teenage girls run to Taylor Swift. Okay? Like we are, we are on it. We got this. Check the box. Um, but might we sometimes believe things with our heads and our hearts that we don't live out? Like, I would guess most of us would raise our hands and say, fast food is bad for me, right? Like, we would all say that. But I bet if we did a God's honest poll here, more than half of us have eaten fast food in the last week, right? Some of you all ate fast food this morning before you got here, if you count Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. Um, so might we sometimes live things out contrary to what we believe with our heads and our hearts? Um, well, that could be the case with this idea of us trying to be Savior, so as we look at these two kings, we're going to see some, uh, some symptoms that bleed out of their stories that can maybe help us um, self-select and maybe I struggle with that too, self-identify. So let's jump into our story. We're in 2 Kings 16. And it says this. It says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. So he's in the same poor company of many of his peers. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire. He burned his sons alive, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. And I'm going to change his name, okay? So you're going to have to bear with me. So his name typically is Ahaz, and that's just boring, okay? So we're going to call him King Ahaz, okay? Because he's going to have a lot of aha ideas about how to solve his problems. He won't turn to the God of the universe, all-powerful. He's going to go, aha, I got an idea. Because, friends, these kings, they faced a lot of pressure. Chad talked about this last week, that some of these kings only reigned for a few months. That everyone was trying to kill them. Their cousins, their aunts, their uncles, foreign nations. They, they just had a bullseye on their back. Everybody was trying to kill them. So it was pressure. But we learned that in some situation, he's trying to get help or protection or blessing. That he has this aha idea of, I will sacrifice my own son to get favor from a false god named Moloch. And we thought about putting a picture up because there's some artwork of this, but we're like, nah, we just can't do it. Uh, it was a bronze idol that you would put your child into the flaming arms of while they died. I mean, it's horrific. It's barbaric. But that's where he goes, trying to be his own savior. And then he has other aha ideas where he carries on this bad tradition of worshiping on the high places. And I love how the Bible puts it. I read into the humor. It's like it was on the high places and the hills and under every green tree. I mean, he's worshiping like Oprah gives away at cars, right? He's like sacrificing here and sacrificing here and sacrificing here. I mean, there wasn't a bush or a shrub or a tree that didn't have a little idol underneath it in his entire kingdom. That's how desperate this guy is. And I know, again, we're, we're good equippers. So we're like, I would never sacrifice to false gods. And it's tempting to burn my kids alive sometimes. But I wouldn't do it. Right? I'd think about it. But I, okay. Maybe that's just me. Um, but might we, might we be tempted to sacrifice just a few more hours at the office, a few more nights away from our family traveling for just a few more dollars? Just a few more dollars. And, and sometimes we need a few more dollars, right? Like we got to pay our bills. We got to pay for college, all of that stuff. But sometimes we just, we just want a few more dollars, right? And we're sacrificing for our families. Someday like our kids will thank us and our, our husband will thank us for our hard work or our wife will thank us, right? Well, when? Like when does that someday come? Because I've been married 20 years. We have four kids and I've yet to have that someday, all right? Like my spouse, my wife, my kids have never thanked me for spending time away from them that I didn't have to. So, so I think maybe we're fooling ourselves. Um, and I heard a terrifying statistic, okay? You want me to share it with you? It'll brighten your day. Um, by the time your kids are 12 years old, you will have spent 75% of the total number of hours you will ever spend with them in your lifetime. Yee, that, that'll scare you, right? And then it gets scarier. That percentage jumps up to 95% by the time they're 18. That when they leave for college or work 
or wherever God takes them when they leave your home, that you have spent 95% of the hours that you will ever spend with them. And those of us that, I don't have an adult child yet, she's leaving the, the house here in the fall, but I, I know I'm seeing a lot less of her than I did when she was 10. I'll put it that way. Um, so we, we're fools if we say we're not tempted to sacrifice to false gods. And, and that is what we see going on here with Ahaz. He's, he is constantly sacrificing to false gods. That's the first symptom. But let's pick up. Let's see where he goes. It says, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwell there to this day. So what we have happening here is for King Ahaz, his worst nightmare is at his doorstep. That, that two of his enemies, the northern kingdom of Israel and the northeastern kingdom of Syria have banded together and, and they are attacking his kingdom. And we'll read about this in other parts of the Bible. In Second Chronicles, it talks about how King Ahaz will lose 1,200 men in one day. So this is a bloody, brutal struggle going on. And I wonder, where will he turn? Will he have another aha idea how to save his own tail? Or will he turn to the God of the universe, all-powerful? It's really cool. The Old Testament, sometimes historic things happen and you can read about them in multiple places. And this is one of those situations where we can read about this in 2 Kings 16, but also 2 Chronicles, but also in Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah 7 is happening at the same time as this. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to old King Ahaz. And Isaiah has a message. And it, the summary of it is this. It's, hey, king, everything is going to work out fine. Okay, they will fight you, they'll beat you, but they won't be able to take Jerusalem. Okay, so just trust me, Ahaz. It's going to work out fine. And, and oh, by the way, if you can't just trust me, because God knows we're mortals and it's hard to trust, he doubles down and he gives Ahaz this offer. Here in Isaiah 7, verse 11, it says, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or the height above. That God's saying, hey, Ahaz, if you don't believe me, ask for a sign. I'll turn the sky polka dots. I'll make flying unicorns. I'll do whatever you want, Ahaz. Just, just ask me. Can you imagine? Like, like, think of the thing right now that troubles you the most. Okay, so whatever that challenge is in your life, a problem, a situation where you're losing sleep. Right, for me, we have a daughter going off to college in the fall. So that, <laughs> whoo, I'm thinking about that a lot. Um, well, what if God came to me and he said, hey, Ryan, here's what I want you to know. I promise you that Lily is going to be great in the fall. She's going to be happy. She's going to be healthy. She's going to be successful. And if you are struggling to believe me, um, then ask me for a sign, Ryan. Ask me for a sign. And I'd be like, okay, the, the Bengals win the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Bengals win the Super Bowl, God. That's my sign. I've picked it. Right? Like any one of us, we would be like, yes, God, please. Thank you. Uh, right? I don't know what your sign would be, but that would be mine. Um, so certainly King Ahaz is going to take God up on this, right? Like he'd be a fool not to. You'd be wrong. It says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord 
Like, what is going on? Why would he not ask? Who would not ask for a sign when God said, I'll give you a sign? Well, what's going on here, friends, is that Ahaz, also known as Ahaz, has already had an aha idea of his own to save himself. It says this in 7, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he's going to lay it on really thick here, okay? It's going to be embarrassing and a little cringy. Um, he says, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me, Tiglath. Save me, right? This is as, like as embarrassing as us laughing at our boss's jokes, right? <laughs> oh, you're so funny, Chris. <laughs> right? And everybody's like cringing. This, this is just cringy. He's pouring it on. Um, save me from the hand of the king of Assyria, of Syria from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord. So he takes God's money and, and it, in the treasuries of the king's house and he sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So there's flattering words. There's gifts. I'm assuming chocolates and flowers were sent as well. Um, so the king of Assyria heeded him because money talks. For the king of Assyria went up to Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kerr, and killed Rezin. So his flattery and his gifts, they work. That where he should have turned to the God of the universe for salvation, he turns to this foreign king. Which is the second symptom of trying to be our own saviors. As we've, we put our hope in false gods. And think about that for a minute. Like, how crazy is it that he could put his hope here in the God of the universe, right? Like, have you seen Aladdin where, like, there's the genie scene and he's like, all-powerful, almighty. And instead, he puts his hope into a guy who sounds like a Winnie the Pooh character. I'm Tiglath, over here, hey. Like, who would do that? Who would make that choice? It's confusing, but it's also not confusing um, because I make that choice every single day. That over and over again, I am tempted to want to be my own savior and my own God. I want to make my own rules. I want to live by my own standards. I want to be the hero in my own story. And really, what's wrong with that? Right? Like, what's wrong with that? Like, doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? Nope, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say it anywhere. <laughs> In case you ever quoted that, you're mistaken. That is a quote from Benjamin Franklin, who to my knowledge wasn't even a Christian. Um, that what's wrong with that is the danger is, is when we try to take on the role of Savior, our resume doesn't qualify us for that position, okay? That would be like me taking my youth ministry degree and trying to be your neurosurgeon, Right? Are you going to be comfortable with that? <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. I can order a lot of pizza and tell some funny jokes, um, but your brain's going to be in trouble. <laughs> right? We're, we're not meant to hold that position. We're not ever meant to bear the weight of that position. That, friends, I love that Jesus says he wants us to have faith like a child. Simple, pure, just trust. And when we don't, what we experience when we try to control all the um, parts of our world and our life and we realize we can't control it, is we feel a whole lot of stress and a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of 
depression. And if you look at our world right now, there's a pandemic of mental health issues that I think are related to this, that we, we go through this pandemic, to use the word again, literal pandemic, where we all feel out of control. So then we try to control everything and we squeeze it and we, it's my precious and I'm going to control it and I'm going to, you know, and, and we feel the stress of that and the anxiety of that. Well, what if, what if we let God be Savior and us be us? Like, why might we be able to make some really positive trades in our life? Might we be able to trade the fear we feel in the unknown for faith? Might we be able to trade worry for wonder? Like I have a, a friend, a really good friend of mine, shared with me this week that he found out he lost his job. And uh, he is, it was his dream job, like the job he had hoped for forever. They gave him nine months and then they, they pulled the plug. And he's got a wife and he's got children. And uh, in our conversation, certainly he was sharing concern, and certainly he was even sharing worry. Um, but because he's a follower of Jesus, you want to know what I heard sprinkled in? Wonder. Like, I, wonder I wonder what God's doing in the midst of this. Like, I wonder if God's got another chapter for me that I never thought of. Right, there was this hope sprinkled into the, the hard stuff of life um, that we can have when we make God our Savior, and we don't try to wear the cape. Um, what if we could trade anxiety for acceptance? Right? Like if we can accept that, that God is the Savior and He is good and He is working for my good and His glory and He is all-powerful, then might we be able to accept what He allows to come our way? Right? Wouldn't it help us if we put him in his right place on the throne? Wouldn't it help our blood pressure go down? <sighs> our blood pressure is pretty high right now, I'd imagine. Um, wouldn't we all take a collective sigh? Well, well King Ahaz is not going to do that. He's going to double down on his friendship with his new paid-for buddy, Tiglath. And he's going to have an aha idea to go visit him. It says, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And he and saw an altar that was at Damascus. So Damascus is in Syria. Again, the land that Assyria just conquered. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz or Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. So he, he has this aha idea to go visit old Tiglath, his new buddy. Um, and then while he's there, he sees this beautiful altar. Look at it. It's so amazing. He's enamored by this altar. It's, it's awesome. So he, he makes a blueprint. He sends it away to the priest. And it, we pick up when he gets home. It says, And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar and approached the altar and made offerings on it He's so enamored with it, he's going to start taking his new toy out for a test drive. And he's going to make a lot of offerings. It says he burnt, he burned his burnt offering and the green offering. And he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. And it says he also brought out the bronze altar. That old thing. That altar God had ordained down to like the millimeter. He brings that sucker out again. Um, 
And it was before the Lord from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. And he puts it on the north side of the new altar. So again, we got the new altar, we got God's old altar, and kind of like an old piece of furniture that like you don't want to throw away, but like you just kind of keep. He just kind of shoves it in the corner, okay? We have a couch in our garage that I just need to get rid of, but I'm just keeping it in the garage. Well, that's where this altar is. And, and he continues. It says, Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, you hear in the adjectives? He's like, Hey, hey, did I tell you that this altar is great? Because this is a great altar. Does anybody check this thing out? This is amazing. Right? Like he's, he's so in love with this new altar. Um, I want you to do these things. Burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering. The, burn, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering and the burnt offering. The people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings. And sprinkle on it the blood. And he's just given all kinds of instructions to Uriah. And then it's like he remembers, oh, yeah, the other altar. Um, and, and the bronze altar, that shall be for me to inquire by. I'll do something with that, Uriah. Don't worry about it. Right? Um, and it said, thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And, and King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the labors from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. Also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. And that last line there is very important, that he's removing all of these things to please the king of Assyria. Because he's got to pay him. So he's taking the fine linens and the precious metals and he's sending them to old Tiglath, his buddy. And what we see here is that King Ahaz has created what I call an a la carte faith, <laughs> which I think is a temptation when we try to be our own savior. And he's like, hey, you know what? I'll take a little bit of the old altar and I'll mix it with this new altar, this great altar. Did I tell you it's great? Yeah, let's mix these together. Um, and he creates his own faith, which is what we're doing when we're trying to be our own saviors because you don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Um, so we're making our own faith. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Thomas Jefferson one of the founding fathers of our country, he was a, uh, intrigued by Jesus, but didn't believe Jesus was God. Okay, so he created what's called the Jefferson Bible, right, where he took a razor blade and he took it to the New Testament and he cut out everything he didn't like. So anytime there was a miracle, anytime Jesus talked about being the son of God, anytime Jesus raised from the dead, went to heaven, like any of that, he just cut out of there and then pasted together his own little Jefferson Bible. And friends, I wonder if we're tempted to do that as well. To, to create a faith that suits us, but, but maybe isn't the most accurate. Right? I love verses like John 10.10 10 about life to the full and abundant life. Like, give that to me, God. And then you get to those verses about carrying your cross. And you're like, yeah, that's nice too. <laughs> right? That one doesn't make it onto like my bumper or my wall and my, you know, like, that one I know, but I, eh. Well, that's what we see old Ahaz doing here, is he's created an a la carte faith. And unfortunately, there's no redemptive arc to his story, which we should be used to by now, because all of these kings are bad. That his story finishes this way. It says, now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? I love how they put it every week. It sounds sassy. Aren't they written there anyway? Um, 
So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And uh, FYI, Hezekiah will be a good king, so it'll be a nice change of pace when we get to him. Um, But let me introduce you now to bachelor number two. Okay, so King Hosea. All right, not the kind of of gentleman you want to be interested in, ladies. I'll warn you. Um, It says this, in the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah. So these are kind of happening over late on one another. Not exactly, but somewhat parallel. Hosea, the son of Elah, became the king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Sounds familiar, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So he's a bad king, but he's not burning his children alive. Okay, so he's, you know. Somewhere in the bad zone, but not horrifically bad like Ahaz. And maybe the name Hosea sounds familiar to you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Hey, you remember when we went through the book of Numbers for like seven years a while ago? Yeah. Well, there's a guy named Hosea, and it appears in chapter 13 where Moses is sending the spies into the promised land. And one of them's name is originally Hosea. And it says this. Check it out. It's pretty cool. It says, These are the names of the men Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. What? It's like the Joshua? Like the Joshua Joshua. Like that Joshua? Yeah, he, he used to have another name, Hosea. But why would Moses like change his name? Like that's kind of weird for one dude to do to another. Be like, hey, Chad, your new name is Bob. Okay, it's got one less letter. And let's be honest, it's just a better name. Okay, I'm just going to make that decision. Like, who does that? And why? Well, Hosea, in Jewish language, in Hebrew, it it means savior and rescuer in a personal sense. Like, I'm the savior. I'm the rescuer. Thank you very much. And Moses knew that no man should carry that burden, should carry that moniker that no man is a savior so Moses changes his name from Hosea to Joshua which means Jehovah is salvation or Yahweh saves because he's he knows this fundamental truth okay that we see in these two chapters that we all need saved okay like we are in the pool waving with our hands help me we are not the lifeguard we all need saved and we all have a savior. And FYI, it's, it's not any of us. That again, our, our resumes don't, don't match up with it. So that's the same name. We have Hosea there in uh, Numbers. And this king is also named Hosea. And he, he tries to kind of live up to it. It says, Shalmaneser, which sounds like a 50s doo-wop band, king of Assyria, came up against him. And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. Sounds familiar. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to, king of, to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him up in prison. So just to unpack what's going on here. So Hosea, Assyria comes... And instead of trusting God in the middle of that, he has his own aha idea. 
And he becomes a vassal of Assyria, where he starts sending Assyria money every year. It's like mob protection, okay? And then eventually, he has another aha idea, where he's like, you know what? I'm tired of sending money to them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to conspire with the Egyptians, right? Because the Egyptians are the friends of the Jews, right? No, they're not. Like, am I the only one who remembers the terrible relationship between the Jewish people and the Egyptian people? Like, why in the world would he be going to the Egyptians for help? Well, the letter doesn't get there. Shalmaneser intercepts it. He arrests old Hosea and throws him into jail. And it's only going to get worse from here. Because, friends, there's consequences when we try to play Savior. There's consequences for us. But there's also consequences for the people that we lead and the people that we love. And we're going to see that play out here as we continue. It says, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried, it, and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the harbor, the river of Gazan and in the cities of the Medes. And friends, what we have here is the, the chickens have come home to roost. That king after king after king after king has rejected God's leadership. His love, his wisdom, and they've shaken their fist in his face and said, you will not rule us. And eventually, God gets to the place where he, he removes his hand of protection and he gives them what they want. That they, they want life apart from God's leadership, God's direction. And God eventually says, okay. And this isn't God's heart at all. God doesn't want this. I mean, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 28 where he says, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, you kill your prophets and stone those I send to you. Oh, how I've longed so often to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but, but you won't have it. That that's been God's heart. And instead here, his people are carried away. And when we read these words in English, it's just like, oh, they were besieged. Sure, that sounds interesting. Well, friends, besieged meant, think of where you live. So think of Indian Hill, Marymount, Anderson, you know, wherever you live. Like, think of your little community surrounded by an army and nothing comes in or out. So that word besieged means that for three years, you slowly watch your friends, your neighbors, your children, your parents, your grandparents starve to death. And then, after three years, when you wave your little white flag, okay, we're ready to surrender. Come and get us, Shalmaneser. Um, there's no UN refugee camp. There's the Assyrian relocation plan, okay? And, and it's horrific. They take you, and they stick fish hooks through your lip, and then they connect you to your spouse and your children, and then they connect you to other families, and then they force you all to march hundreds of miles away from everything you've ever known because they're trying to crush every last bit of identity and nationalism in you. That, friends, this wasn't God's desire. God never wanted his children to be treated this way, but this is what they've chosen. And we're to a point now I call the prologue, where God now is going to kind of give an explanation for all that has happened in 2 Kings and for the fact that now the northern kingdom has been exiled 
If you've ever heard in history about the ten lost tribes of Israel, this is where that moment, you know, happens in people's minds where they get dispersed. Um, And God's going to try to give an explanation, okay, to us. And it's 16 verses, so he's got a lot to say. Um, And and it's kind of like in a movie where at the end the narrator kind of like gives you this like Morgan Freeman and this is why, you know, tells you about the whole tale again. Um, We're going to see that. But what I've done is I've bolded the Israelites' actions, okay, because what I don't want you to think is that this has just been this like slow drifting apart you know how you and your college roommate used to know each other, but then it just, ah, now we never talk. No, these are very intentional actions by the Israelites to say, you will not rule me, God. Let's jump in. It says, for so it was the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And they had feared other gods. That's a real good basic summary of what God's about to say. But he's like, don't stop me now. And he's about to go off, okay. Um, And and here's the things that they did. And these are all actions. They had feared other gods and they had walked in the statutes of the nations. Um, Also the children of God secretly did against the Lord God things they were not that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all the cities, and it continues. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wood images on every high hill, and they're burning incense in all the high places like the nations God had carried away. They did wicked things to provoke the Lord's anger. They served idols, which the Lord had told them, you shall not do this thing. And all along, here's God's heart. The Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments that God is lovingly wooing them back along the way. But they refuse, said, nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers. And I love that phrase, they stiffen their necks, that we are a a stubborn people, aren't we? (laughs) That they dug in their heels. In the early 1900s, there was a boat called the Lusitania. Okay, it's a British boat. And this is in the uh, early parts of World War I. Okay, and this boat was magnificent. It was beautiful. It would hold up to 2,000 people. And it would go back and forth between New York and the United Kingdom. And it had made some 200 trips. But the war is heating up. And Germany and the UK are at odds. Okay, and they're claiming each other's international waters. And one of these trips is about to happen. And it becomes front page news. These would be huge events when it would happen. And the German consulate um, prints in the New York papers 50 warnings. They say, we will torpedo any ship flying the flag of Great Britain, the flag of the UK. We don't care if it's a tugboat, a rowboat. You're out there in your bathtub. If you got that flag up, we're going to torpedo it. Okay. And the captain of the Lusitania had a stiff neck. And he said, who are they kidding? They're never going to shoot at a passenger ship. And our ship is fast and it's strong. And they put some almost 2,000 people aboard the Lusitania. And they started across the Atlantic Ocean. And they get close. They get within their boundary waters. And the captain stiffens his neck and he slows down the engine. (laughs) And then the torpedoes hit. And 1,200 men and women and children will lose their lives. That, friends, sometimes warnings aren't enough. 
that we're a stubborn people and we stiffen our necks. We did it 2,700 years ago. We did it in 1915 and we do it in 2023. Um, and God doesn't like it. And he, he's going to continue. He's not done. He's like, don't stop me now. I'm going to keep going. He says, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant. They followed idols, became idolaters. They left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image, made a wooden image, worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, understatement of the year, and removed them from his sight. So there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone, the southern kingdom. But also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam, we've heard so much about Jeroboam, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. And here's perhaps the saddest verse in all of 2 Kings. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants and the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their land to Assyria as it is today. So here the northern kingdom ends. And the Assyrians, they're going to repopulate the area. So the Israelites are gone. They repopulate it with Assyrian people. Um, the Assyrians aren't going to follow God either, which sort of makes sense. You can go to the next slide, Gage. Um, the Assyrians will not fear God. God will get pretty angry with that. He's going to release lions among them. And the lions are going to start killing the Assyrians because they're not fearing God in the middle of the promised land. And... Uh, Interesting enough, Shalmaneser is going to turn to God in a weird way, and he's going to try to bring back a Jewish priest that had been exiled. So the, the Jewish priest comes back, and he starts trying to teach people how to fear God as well. But in the end, all that's left is this, like, um, a la carte faith again, where the Assyrians fear God, but they keep worshiping on the high places, and it's, it feels just like this big cycle that is repeated and honestly, you get to the end of this chapter, and it's kind of just sad and gloomy and dark. Like, is that all there is, God? Like, we don't listen and we screw up, and, and that's the end of the story? Well, thankfully, buried within the last three verses, there's this amazing hope. Verse 38, it says, And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. Nor shall you fear other gods. But this, this covenant, God's saying, hey, you've forgotten the covenant, but I haven't. Okay, I, I hold my end of the covenant even when you haven't. And God, thankfully, is not done with them yet. And it continues. It says, but the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Now, friends, we all need to be delivered that we are all in the deep end waving our hands and God is the lifeguard. We don't have a whistle. We don't have a hat. We don't have the cool stuff on our nose, whatever that is. 
we're, we're drowning and we need to be rescued. So, so today I want to ask you this. Where today in your life is, is a situation where you need to let go of your aha ideas? You're trying to save yourself. I just got to let go of that. Where in your life right now is a place where you need to pull away from your Hosea heart? Your I'm the Savior. I'm the Redeemer. I got this. And where is a place where you need to lean into the fulfillment of Joshua? I love the name changes that happen. They have this Hosea. He's the Savior and the Rescuer. I'm it. I'm the man. I'm the woman. Oh, no, it's Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. And then Joshua is the same as Yeshua, which is the same as Jesus. That Jesus is our ultimate salvation. That where in your life right now do you need to let Jesus be the Savior that he died to be? Let me pray. God, I, I thank you for Second Kings. And Lord, I confess that it, it sometimes is heavy. But I confess that in the lives of these kings, I often see myself. Um, that I often have a stiff neck. And I want to be the God in my life. I want to set the rules. I want to make the rules. And um, I want to be the Savior in my life. That I, I want to try to fix it. Um, but I thank you that you held up your end of the covenant, that you sent us a deliverer, that you sent Jesus, that, that he is the, the Savior. And I pray that each of us um, could trust in that for eternity, but we could also trust in that in the moments, the minutes, the seconds of our lives. In your name, amen. Well, friends, it was good to be with you today. And next week, just a little FYI, you still got time to hit up Amazon. Next week is Father's Day, okay? Um, so Drew has an awesome Father's Day message that he will be giving to all three of our services. So hope you can join us. Um, as always, if you like to chat, there's always smarter people than me in the hearth room, third door on the left. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for coming.